This episode of the Golf Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. All right, DJs, welcome back to the Golf Gambling Podcast. Uh, it's just me, Steve Shermer here. Uh, happy New Year's Eve to everybody. Boston Capper, unfortunately, is on the IR right now. He woke up apparently with uh, what he says is strep throat. Uh, he has no voice. Uh, I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that he probably had a little too much fun at New Year's Eve last night. So you just got me. Uh, first tournament of the year, sent the century of champions and guys who played good too. Uh, this is a new signature events uh, type tournament that I'll explain a little bit what that means going forward. Uh, it means more players in the field this, uh, this year, a uh, little deeper field, unfortunately with the divide in golf though, you're not getting all the best players, but uh, it's new, you know, more guys to gamble. I think this is going to definitely help the positional market. Usually with only 35 guys, positional market is pretty junk. You usually just limited to top fives and top tens. Uh, I saw, you know, a, you know, perusing some top twenties this week and, and there's actually not some bad pricing. Maybe we'll get a little bit of good value there with some of the guys down the board, but uh, just me. So with the previews this year, uh, I, I noticed last year, I started to incorporate a little more visual cues. I started doing more screen sharing of Google Earth. I started doing, you know, going through some of the data golf stuff that I look at and walking through my process there. I'm going to try doing that more this year. So if you're listening through podcast medium, thank you for the download. Obviously, if you're watching on YouTube right now, please give us a download. It definitely helps and then give us a rate review too. But, uh, you know, I, I think these previews this year are going to help you more if you're watching on YouTube. So I'll walk you through, you know, the course. I'll walk you through some interesting holes, some features of it, and then we'll go over uh, what are we looking for uh, at this tournament and every other tournament uh, this year. So uh, we'll do that after we do our first every. But first, why don't we go over the field first? So this is uh, the century is a signature event. And if you've been living under a rock, uh, it seems like the PGA Tour has been doing several different iterations of their schedule to try and drive interest and make sure the best players on their tour all play at the same place. And, you know, it worked for a little bit last year. They had, it was called the uh, elevated events, uh, but they were all really condensed together. So what they're trying to do more is spread them out during the year. And have a couple other regular tournaments uh, in between. So, but we're starting right now with the century, which is a signature event. And what that means is anybody who finished inside the top 50 in last year's FedEx Cup automatically has an exemption into this. Previously, it was just winners only. You were in an exclusive club. If you won the prior year, you were able to get into this tournament. Now it's anybody who finished inside the top 50, whether they won or not. It also is still allowing, though, per tradition, anybody who had won last year on the PGA Tour to gain entry. So guys like Eric Van Royen, uh, who won in the fall, did not finish inside the top 50. He is here. Uh, what that means, though, is a guy like uh, Justin Thomas, who did not win last year and did not finish inside the top 50, he's not here. That's not a, that's not a, a big surprise. Going forward, though, there's going to be some sponsors exemptions, though. He is definitely going to get in. He also could get in if he qualifies, I think, with the top. It's called the next 10. Uh, in those other events, if he is 
the highest score, I think, during those stretch of tournaments. He'll play. Uh, if he's within the top, I think, maybe 30 in the world or I don't know. They're, they're, they're just kind of making the stuff as they go along. But what's kind of damning is, well, f- I mean, everybody is here for the most part. You know, you got your Scotty Shefflers, you got your Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley's, Jordan Spieth's. Uh, you know, I mean, the heavy hitters who was remaining on the PGA Tour, they are here. The one guy who is not here, which I think really puts a ding on this thing, is probably the most... You know, the guy who moves the needle the most on the PJ Tour right now, uh, that's Roy McElroy. You know, very polarizing guy, but he, uh, you know, listen, he's one of the guys who still drives viewership. And the PJ Tour right now, listen, they're under siege. They didn't get a deal done with the PIF at the d- December 31st deadline. So their future is still uncertain. Will they go forward with them? Will they not? Will Liv continue to poach players? We'll see. But I think what they really need to do to at least give the public perception that they are still the best tour out there is when you have these signature events, they all need to be there. And yes, Roy McElroy has usually skipped Kapalua. He usually takes a little bit more time before he goes over the middle East swing, but there's plenty of guys in this field who usually play in the middle East who are here. And I think this speaks volume to, to that his omission and his choice to not play in this tournament and which where the you know the first signature event of the new iteration of the schedule, I think it's a bad look for the PJ Tour. Uh, it's his choice, and honestly, I don't blame him. But they really are trying to get momentum and get a little mo- bit of momentum on their side at this point. And the fact that he's not here at Kapalua, it it, it speaks volumes, and it's not a great look uh, for the PJ Tour. But everybody else is here. Uh, there's plenty of good guys to gamble on this week. Uh, why don't we take our first ad break and then we will go over the golf course. So, all right. Uh, let's first talk about underdog fantasy. So underdog fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. You got the NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football too. Even golf as well. They got some higher and lowers on birdies, pars, scores, et cetera. You can do every single week. So you simply pick higher or lower and all your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. Unfortunately for golf, they have not released uh, any of the uh, props on underdog yet. However, um, I would probably anticipate given some of the weather conditions and how easy the scoring is, I would probably take the um, the mores, the hires on pretty much every single prop you can find over on Underdog. So watch along, make your picks, and make a little cash over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Okay. Um, I'm going to share my screen now. I really hope this works. Sometimes I get some bandwidth issues. If I notice that uh, the bandwidth is getting a little uh, wonky with this, uh, I'll shut it off and I'll just have to describe the golf course to you. But uh, listen, this is Kapalua. Y'all have seen it a lot before. You've seen it every. If you're a big fan of the PGA Tour, this is probably one of your favorite uh, tournaments to watch every single year. Just because, listen, you're, if you're like me, you're stuck in the cold right now. I'm in my uh, studio garage right now. It's probably about 50 degrees. I look a lot warmer than I actually am right now. Uh, but it's nice, uh, you know, looking out at Hawaii with the oceans here. Mark Rolfing just spit out all these Hawaii stats and see the humpback whales migrating. It's it's a lovely tournament. And even though I don't really like the fact that everybody can kind of just get into this thing now, I like the, that was just all winners before. 
it's still the first tournament back. You get great field. It's really good shots. Even though these guys kind of light this place up now, and I'll explain why they light this place up more in a little bit. It's a great watch. So why don't I start sharing my screen? So let's get Kapalua up and running. Uh, let's bring it up. And let's hope the internet doesn't really conk out here, or else we're going to have to figure out uh, something with that. Here we go. Okay. So this is Kapalua in all of its glory. And this is a core and Crenshaw design. It first opened in, two, in uh, 1991. It started hosting the Century Tournament Champions in 1999. It's been hosting ever since there. And, and this is a just a wonderful, fantastic piece of property. Obviously, if you've seen this tournament before, it, it's built on the side of a mountain. Uh, the elevation change, I think, from top to bottom. Uh, I think the high point of the property is... Hole number six here, it's about 335 feet, and it plays all the way down to the coastline here at about 75 feet. So it's about 225 feet at elevation drop here. Um, we'll go over the proximity buckets a little later, but you know that it, it just looking at that and taking that if, at uh, fair value, it's a little misleading because you know you have a lot of down dramatic downhill shots where you got to make a two, three club, you know, maybe one, two, three club adjustment. Uh, where you have a lot of uphill shots where, you know, yeah, it's a shorter par four, but, you know, if you're into the wind and you have a, you know, the fairway is about 65 feet above you, and you're not getting a lot of roll out there. But, you know, players start out first tee here, and they go down about 120 feet in elevation. So I have this push pin right here at about 312 here. That is where there's um, start, there's a really big slope here. And, because of how far the ball goes now, I mean, a lot of guys just hit, you know, three wood, but even here, it's really hard to control your ball once it hits here. And most tee shots end up in the rough down here, but there's still a set up about 150 yard shot into the green. You know, yeah, it's 520, but they're hitting wedges. They're hitting nine irons. It's, you know, even though it's 520, you know, because they get a lot of roll out here, it's a little shorter approach. Then they play the long par three second along the coast here. Uh, the prevailing east northeast wind, though, gives these guys a little bit of a helping uh, breezer. I would say probably plays more like 180, 190, uh, especially if the wind is probably about, you know, 15, 20 miles per hour. Then they start making their way up uh, the mountain here. You got the short par three third and short par um uh, or short par for third, sharp short par for fourth here, uh, less than 300, 400 yards with each. Uh, the third plays into the wind. The fourth plays a little bit of the crosswind, still kind of in the wind. Both these plays significantly uphill. And then you have a really picturesque par five here, only 532 in the scorecard, but it plays significantly uphill. There's a center line bunker about 305 here, you know, and, th and that's, that's going to be hard to carry for a lot of guys. You know, it's about, 80 feet of elevation change up to it. So it's very well placed, uh, especially if it's playing a little firm. Balls could roll in, obviously, but there's a lot of room. I mean, it, it, and that's the prevailing theme of this place is, you know, most fairways are 50, 60, 70 yards wide. You know, you have some penalty areas that if you are really offline, you can definitely hint to. Like all of this right here is basically a ravine. This is penalty area. Uh, there's several places like this on the golf course. But then once you reach the sixth green, you're at the top of the golf course. Now you can play everything dramatically downhill. Uh, this could theoretically be driven, um, you know, because this is about a, you know, 90 foot drop. And if you hit, you know, in the speed slot here, you could probably get balls down in this range. You guys can get up and down for birdie here. Uh, seven, this is a longer par four, 516, but you're going to have the wind to your back. And again, this is dramatic. 
dramatically downhill. Eight again is down here. It's 203. However, it's a 70 foot drop. So it plays more like 180, 185. So even though that's technically over 200 on the scorecard, it doesn't play like that. Guys, you're going to have to adjust for it. And then you're going to have to go back up a uh, hill for the par five ninth. Um, the elevation change up here is about you know, only 50 feet, but you know, guys hit three wood here. And then there's a lot of bunkers. You got to, you know, basically get around, you know, once you hit up into the green and it's into the wind. So, um, you know, and, and, uh, this golf course, as you just saw in the front nine here, most of the longer holes, either you have the wind at your back or you have a lot of downhill. Most of the shorter holes, either they're uphill or they're into the wind. So, you know, well-designed there, well thought out uh, by Corin Crenshaw. And you have similar things over when you get to the back nine here. This plays in basically a circle, your first four holes. Uh, again, another short par four, but everything is into the wind. And, you know, all your tee shots are basically going to funnel into the rough here. I don't really love this hole. Um, it's really impossible to stop the ball once it hits here. But it's going to be a little short wedge from the rough here. It's going to be lie dependent. Uh, short uh, par three, 11th, uh, 164 here, plays downhill, very picturesque, back towards the bay. And then 12 and 13, basically uh, dueling banjos uh, of Kapalua. So obviously number 12 is the scene of what Brando Chambly called the, I think, the greatest drive in history because Dustin Johnson um, uh, hit the speed slide right here and rolled the ball up to about two inches for a tap and eagle on the way to winning, I think, the 2016 uh, Century Tournament Champions. Beat Brian Harmon that week. But then once you swing, and then you have the wind at your back, the prevailing east-northeast wind. But once you swing around back to the 13th, this is one of the harder holes on the golf course. Not the last couple of years because there hasn't been a lot of wind, but this is directly into the fan. It's 407, plays significantly uphill. Like, guys can have trouble getting past this bunker over here. And it sets up, you know, like 165, 170, 175-yard approach shot into an uphill green with a wind in your face like this can be definitely a tricky hole and then like in the front nine you start working your way back up the hill with some shorter par four shorter par fours this is only 305 here you gotta navigate the bunkers over here but you know uphill that's the challenge there uh another short par five where i hit a, a fade off the tee and then hit a draw in but when you have a um you know, east northeast wind. It's hard to draw the ball back to the green here. You see a lot of guys in this collection area down here. Uh, another short par four going up to the three. Um, you know, uh, uphill here. You had Kyle Morikawa. I think ended up in this bunker right here. He ended up blading it over the green, made a mess of it. This is why he left this tournament. And then one of the best closing stretches, I think, uh, on the PGA Tour, 17 plays dramatically downhill. You know, you're at 520 elevation. I actually take that back. Number 17 is the highest elevation at the golf course. Uh, plays down to 549, par four, about 200 feet below you. But with all this downhill shot, and if it's playing firm here, you're only going to have maybe like 165 yard shot into the green. Um, you bit, you know, especially if the ball is getting rolling here, you have big driver distance. And then number 18, 663. On the scorecard, however, like we see some big booming drives here um, from the high point, and it's real driver three wood. Now, this can create some car crashes. This hole, uh, especially with the approach out, there's a, you know a big penalty area here. You've seen guys come up short, especially when they're going for the flag here. Most guys tend to bail out to the to the right over here and try and get up and down. Um, but listen, like you know, it's a dramatic hole, par five, ocean in the background. Uh, plays downhill. 
you know, it, it's it's a good golf course. Unfortunately, this is one where these guys just really light it up nowadays. We'll get to the reasons why in a little bit. But I don't really care if the winning score gets to be 30 under uh, at this point. And I think I love the types of shots they're hitting. I love the fact they're in Hawaii. Um, you know, to me, it, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, this is definitely one of the, the stronger events on the PGA Tour. Um, I love it when every time they go back here, I always get excited when... Uh, you know, the season kicks off and they're going to Kapalua. So why don't we take another quick break and then we'll go over, um, you know, some of the nuts and bolts of this golf course, the nitty gritty and what I usually uh, look for here. So, all right. So let's talk about the game time app. And, you know, so my brother-in-law, he's down in Miami right now. And, you know, he's got a couple of friends who are going to the game. Uh, they're big Bills fans. Unfortunately, uh, one of their friends, his flight is actually Sunday night and the game got moved to Sunday night. So he can't go to the game now. So what he's going to up doing is he's probably going to end up putting his ticket up on game time. And that's a great exchange for anybody looking for a last minute ticket. Um, you know, you can put it up on there, get good pricing on it. And you can actually sell the ticket and find somebody to actually take his place. You know, hopefully he doesn't get too big of a weirdo sitting next to him at, uh, I'm at hard rock stadium, but you know, that's a great place for him to go. It's a great place for you to go if you want a last-minute ticket deal. It is the place for last-minute ticket deals. So forget planning months in advance. If something ends up coming up for you, Game Times has deals for tickets right up to the day of the events. It also has exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, shows, theater, anytime, anything you really want that can find uh, you need a ticket for. You can find it on Game Time. It also has the Game Time guarantee. It means you'll get the best price available for any time you go on there. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less on some other website, Game Time will credit you 110% back on the difference. And that and that's the reason why it's one of the fastest growing ticket apps in the country. It's because of the stuff like this. So get your images on your seats before you buy. So you know exactly what you're buying and what you can see there and know exactly what to expect. Uh, and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're already set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you just sew it to the uh, the ticket guy right at the, at the gate, and you're in. So snag tickets today without stress. Go to Game Time for it. Go down the Game Time app, create an account, and use code CFBX for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create your account and redeem code CFBX for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Get your last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And we're also about to buy Hall of Fame bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research any NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and come join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use promo code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Okay. Let's uh, bring this back and let's get rid of uh, Google Earth now that I showed you it. So let's go to the GCSA tournament fact sheet. This is something I look at every single time uh, when I do a tournament, mostly because I want to see if there's any real differences. I want to see if there's any changes, but just to kind of get a little bit of a refresher about what I'm really looking for. And this thing has everything. It's got the par, it's got yardages, it's got the average square feet per green, uh, the agronomy. So if you ever have a question about 
you know, what type of grass type there is. I, this is something that definitely gets screwed up a lot uh, in the golf gambling community. Uh, GCSAA obviously is your leader to get the final answer on it. So this is a par 73, uh, 7,596 yards. But as I just kind of showed you on the Google Earth, you can definitely see that this doesn't play nearly as long. Uh, you know, this is designed, the golf course is designed for the longer uh, holes to play downhill and usually with the wind at your back, all the shorter holes play either uphill or into the wind, but there's still less than 400 yards. So this plays a lot shorter uh, than what you would expect at this place. Stip meter, uh, they run about 11. Uh, that's a little slower than PGA2 where average they have to get it this slow because this is by the coast. You get some windy conditions as I'm going to show you with the weather report coming up pretty soon. So they're slower greens. Uh, average green size, over 8,700 square feet. This is the largest greens on the PGA Tour. This is a resort at the end of the day. So obviously slower greens, big greens. It doesn't want the 20 handicaps just getting their asses kicked every single time. So huge greens. That's why you see green regulation rate usually around 75, 80% at this place. You know, you get pros. Uh, a lot of opportunity to hit from the short grass, a lot of uh, short irons into large greens. You know, that's a big reason why these guys are going so low at this place now. As far as agronomy goes, uh, it's all Bermuda. You got Celebration Bermuda grass in the fairways, the approaches, the collars, the rough. It's only about two and a half inches of Bermuda. That's pretty short. Uh, it's not very penal, this Bermuda grass. And these fairways are so wide that you're not really hitting a lot of the rough uh, all that often. This is Tiff Eagle Bermuda, though. And, uh, you know, this is a bit of an agronomy change from a couple of years ago. They rebuilt the greens in, in 2020 that year. You, and the greens that year played really firm. Um, it's softened a lot since then. You've had foot traffic from the resort. Uh, you've had some rainy conditions. It's really soft the golf course. But these hip eagle greens, uh, they roll a lot better than the greens that they had. Guys are making more putts as a result at this place. Um, so if you're somebody... Generally, for me, I just look at general Bermuda stats. Uh, don't I, I tend to exclude all the overseeded stuff because it's different grass at that point with the Bermuda's dormant. But if you are somebody who really wants to just uh, focus on just Tiff Eagle, uh, there are a handful of places that they played on the PGA Tour. Not many, but there are a handful of places that they played on the PGA Tour that is specifically Tiff Eagle. So for example, uh, you got Sea Island where Ludwig Aberg won or uh, Ludwig Auberge, I should say. Uh, he won the RSM Classic last year at Sea Island. Those are Tiff Eagle. Port Royal Golf Club for the Munich Championship. Unfortunately, there's no strokes game there, but that is a Tiff e that is a golf course with Tiff Eagle Greens. Bay Hill uh, Golf Club for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Those are Tiff Eagle. Those are a lot faster and firmer than what you're going to see here, but still the same brass. Uh, PJ National for the Honda Classic and the Concession Golf Club for WGC Concession. Those are all Tiff Eagle uh, Bermuda greens. Now there are some other golf courses. Like I just mentioned, that do have tip Eagle. I think Innisburg is tip Eagle. I think Harbortown is tip Eagle, but although those are usually overseeded by time they get to the tournament, sometimes Bermuda can crop up if it's a little warmer, but that's going to be hit or miss. And if it's more overseed than Bermuda it doesn't roll quite that way, but just overall though, I just look at just straight Bermuda and that usually gives me my answer as far as guys are pretty good uh, at those places. Uh, let's talk about the weather. So that's been, I think, part of the reason why uh, guys been laying this place a lot. It's been the weather condition the last couple of years. First of all, there hasn't been a lot of wind. Uh, that's the biggest defense of this place, the prevailing east-northeast wind. That's what this golf course was designed to play at, uh, wind the, with the wind pumping from that direction. Last couple of years, though, we have not seen a whole lot of wind. Uh, definitely, I think, in 2022, when Cam Smith went 3,400, there was barely any wind. Same thing last year, too. 
Uh, not a whole lot of wind, uh, but it also got a lot of rain, letting you use the tournament played a lot softer. And unfortunately, uh, in uh, Maui in December, a lot of rain recently, uh, including the last week of December, you had four consecutive days of rain here. So that softened up the golf course a little bit. But if you look at probably what we're going to see this week, uh, this is on Windfinder, actually right at Kapalua Resort. You're going to have some sunny conditions, at least today and tomorrow, and some wind. You're going to have the prevailing east-northeast wind. That's going to dry out the golf course a little bit. Uh, you're not going to get a whole, any rain during the tournament. And we're going to see at least one day of all windy conditions. Uh, and it looks like in the afternoons on Thursday and Friday, a little bit of wind, too. I would probably say Saturday is going to be the toughest scoring day of them. Um, I'm not sure with more players in the field, how they're going to do the tee times. Usually they're all just kind of in the morning or around midday. So maybe there's a wave split, but it's only 60 guys. So I don't know how big the wave split's going to be, but it does look like at least, you know, from Friday to Saturday, you know, maybe some tougher conditions, but then Sunday, no wind. These guys are probably the best scoring conditions of the week. I would expect probably four under four and a half under is probably going to be the average score that day. Yes. It's a par 73. You got to account for that, but, um, very easy scoring additions, probably mostly for the tournament. I would expect probably upper 20s again, under par uh, as the winning score. So let's actually look at the last couple of years. So John Rahm won last year at 27 under. He went off at about six to one. Um, you know, he ended up being Kyle Morikawa. Morikawa melted down, down the stretch. I think he had a seven shot lead with nine holes to go. Uh, I was at the Giants Eagles game and I was hammered off my ass. So I didn't even watch the final round, but I ended up waking up to this. Um, I think I had, I think I bet Tom Kim that year or last year. But so John Ron won at 27 under in 2022. You had Cam Smith. He closed at about 20, uh, 20 to one odds, beat John Rahm in a duel. I had Cam Smith that week. That was a very unexpected result. I thought John Rahm was just going to take it at, you know, Again, very easy scoring additions. Minus 4.8 was the average score that year. Uh, 2021, you had Harris English. You had a really good um, 2020. Didn't win, though. And finally, kind of out of nowhere, won. But the odds didn't really reflect it. He was only about 30 to 1. I thought his odds were a lot higher. But he beat Joaquin Neiman to play off at 25 under. And then 2020, the year that I mentioned earlier when they rebuilt the greens, this was really tough scoring conditions that, that year. They had windy conditions. The greens were firm. You had a three-way playoff between JT, Patrick Reed, and Xander Shoffley. Um, you know, all of them relatively towards the top of the board. So, you know, nobody under past 40 to 1 has won this, at least in the last couple of years. In 2019, I know Xander won. Uh, I think he went off at 18 to 1 because I had him for that tournament. 2018, I want to say Patrick Reed won. Uh, 2017, I think Hideki might have won or JT might have won. No, JT won that year. So, you know, you're not seeing a whole lot of long shots win. Now, granted, this is with 35, 40 guys, and now we have more players. We have better players in the field. So there probably is a potential for maybe a longer shot to win. But, you know, generally speaking, the best of the best is usually won this place. Uh, as far as scoring at this place, I mean, obviously last year average score was four under. Let's take a look at just you know final round here. Uh, every hole except for number seventeen played under par. So a lot of birdies, guys. Um, that's basically the name of the game. Uh, the hardest round was at average score was at three under, so it's seventy. Guys are just laying this place up. Same thing in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one. It's very easy scoring conditions. So. Um, Let's transition to course fit. 
This is a predictive skill set model. This is something I use a lot for data golf, and it's very helpful. Basically, what this chart tells you is the types of guys who usually do the best at the golf course, the ones that you want to look at pre-tournament, favor their skill sets, elevate them to your models if you use those, and go with that. And you know, this one says, you know, for obvious reasons, a very low correlation of guys who are very accurate off the tee. And success at Kapalua makes sense. It's 50, 60, 70 yard wide fairways with 70% um, you know, drive accuracy rates. There's also a lot of holes too, where even if you are accurate, like hole number 10, the ball is just going to funnel down to the rough because it's just a hard canting right to left slope fairway. Same thing at hole number one, you're just going to hit the bottom of the hill and it's just going to roll into the rough. So it doesn't matter how accurate you are. It's going to usually end up in the same place anyway. So it doesn't matter pre-tournament looking at how many fairways the guys hits. You know, it's not something you should be looking at. Slight favoring towards guys who hit it a little farther just because you're hitting driver a lot of things straight in front of you. So I guess the closer you can get to the green, shorten up the wedge shot, you know, that's a little bit of a bigger correlation. A um, little bit higher correlation. Actually, it helps if I take uh, this off here. A little higher correlation to guys who do well with their irons. Big correlation to guys who are really good around the green with putting, though. So this basically suggests that Guys who typically hit it far and go with their irons and go around the green, good putting, they generally do very well here. Well, here's the thing, though. I'm going to pause and after I ask this question. So what types of players typically play a capital with the Century Tournament Champions? And I'll pause and let you think about it. It's guys who win, right? It's guys who are the best of the best in the PGA Tour. And those guys are all good in at least multiple areas of the game. Usually pretty good iron players and putters, or they hit the ball far. They're pretty good around the green. And when you get a, a very small field with a lot of really good players, obviously, when the you look at the leaderboard at the end of the day, you're going to say, oh, hey, a lot of guys were really good iron players. Well, a lot of guys who putt well, pretty good, you know, did well that week. And it's, it's not helpful <laughs> at all. And it runs counter, too, when you actually look at how difficult this golf course is as far as its rankings on the PGA Tour. So off the tee, there's been 87 golf courses played uh, on the PGA Tour since 2015. Capitol ranks 87th out of 87 in terms of difficulty. The easiest golf course off the tee because of wide fairways. And, you know, it just <laughs> it just hit it in well way. Uh, irons, your approach game, is ranks 53rd out of 87. The only time it's really recently has been challenging uh, with your iron shots has been in 2020 when it was really firm greens, it was really windy. Otherwise, though, last year, it was the second easiest golf course in terms of iron shots. Uh, around the green, it's ranked 62nd out of 87 golf courses putting. That's where it actually is a little bit more difficult. It's 17th out of 87 golf courses. These are bigger greens. They got some undulation to them, too. Um, I think this is one of the tougher golf courses to make putts from over 15 feet. But under 15 feet, if you're in your irons really good and give yourself a lot of scoring opportunities... I think it's actually one of the easiest. So, you know, I mean, and then when you look at the correlated golf courses, the capital, you get Augusta National and Riviera and like, you know, a couple other ones. And the only correlation I really see to Augusta National is just the uneven lies. And that is a that is a big thing. Like that is something where, you know, you're not just hitting your stock shot, you know, from a flat lie. It's. You know, the ball is going to be, a, you know, maybe above your feet or on a side hill lie or it's downhill. And those aren't very easy to hit. So that's really the only crossover I can really see with Augusta National. Otherwise, though, um, 
Not a whole lot of similarity as far as at least the shot shapes you got to hit or the types of approach shots. I'll get into a little bit. But so from a predictive skill set point, it tells you that you basically got to look for guys who are basically really good at everything. And, um, you know, let's just look at the course history as far as guys who've done the best. So, I mean, some of these are very small sample sizes. Some of the guys only played one tournament. But, um, you know, why don't we maybe, why don't we make this at minimum eight rounds play? Cal Morikawa has the best um, uh, course history at Kapalua. Maybe because he's a god with his irons, but he's not the longest guy. And he tends to struggle around the green. We saw last year in the final round. He's not the best putter sometimes, uh, but he has the best course history. Ricky Fowler, kind of a good all-around game. Uh, Jordan Spieth, uh, he hasn't played a whole lot there, but you know he has got a very good course history. Zanza Shoffley, Sungjae, Patrick Cantlay, Scheffler's here, Brian Harmon, Jason Day, Harris English. So, a lot of different types of guys do really well here. And I think that's really more important is that it's not necessarily that this, the golf course itself makes it, you know, makes you want to take guys who are really good and everything. I think this golf course just promotes different styles of play. And however you want to score, however you can score, you know, based on how you play, you're allowed to do it. You know, I, I think back to the 2020 playoff with Patrick Reed, JT, and Xander, three different types of golfers, really, but they all made the playoff, you know? And I guess what's the correlation between, like, you know, John Rahm and Cam Smith and Xander and Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, like, all different types of players. And that's what's great about Kapalua is that it allows a lot of different types of guys to win this tournament. So I think it's a little more important maybe to look at, well, first, before we get to the within event correlations, which really tells you how you actually separate yourself and score this tournament, let's look at the approach shot distribution chart. So these black lines right here, this is the PGA Tour average. You can see from under 125 yards, uh, higher than average uh, amounts of shots from under 125. A lot of wedges at that point, which makes a lot of sense, you know, because there's some short par fours there. Uh, obviously, if you drive the ball really good, you know, maybe you hit the speed slot or something, you have a lot of shots from under 125. Uh, a lot higher than uh, average from 150 to 175. Uh, and then not a whole lot from 175, 225, and then a lot more from 225, 250 plus. These are mostly going to be uh, your par five shots. I think this is 18%, which I think works out to three and a half, four shots, I think around. Um, so yeah, that would be your par fives here. The problem with the approach shot distribution chart just taking on its face is what we just mentioned is that, you know, some of the longer shots might be 185 on the scorecard, but because they play dramatically downhill, you know, they're hitting a club or two different. Uh, same thing with some of the shorter approach shots, even they might have to club up, you know, one or two. So it's not like going to like, like Wiley that's dead flat and looking at distribution chart and say, okay, like whatever their stock shot is from this range, I can count on that, which is basically what most of your proximity stats and strokes gain stats are going to be. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, that area, you know, you got to have guys who are pretty confident with their irons, have a good caddy, good distances. But overall though, this is mostly a lot of short irons. It's going to be a lot of shots from under 175. And I think that's probably when you look at the course history, like the guys done well there, a lot of guys are really good from short range. have done very well at this tournament because you're asked to do that a lot here, you know, hitting short irons into big greens. Obviously you got to go low here. You know, those are your scoring clubs at that point. So those are the types of clubs you have to do a little better with. Um, and then let's look at the within and correlation. So, 
typically I would like to look at this and look it back over the couple of years and say, okay, like, you know, it's a prevailing theme that, you know, you're better able to separate yourself on the leader road through your driving or through your iron play. Well, unfortunately, how guys have done it over the years um, has been pretty all over the map. So last year when John Rahm won, uh, the leaderboard was more determined based on how you did off the tee and around the green and putting. And really, it was very random with your iron play. I mean, in fact, John Rahm lost strokes with his irons for the week and still won it. But you know, he was great off the tee. He, was, you know, he had a great putting week. Um, but you, know, you go back previous year in 2022. Here, off the tee didn't really matter as much. It had a lower effect on your stroke team than the average PDU Tour event. Uh, and actually, everything had a lower effect. I think maybe because everybody lit it up and just nothing mattered that week. Um, go back to 2021. Here, better iron players did better that week. And putting didn't matter. Around the green didn't matter as much as far as separating yourself on the leaderboard. Off the tee didn't matter as much. It was really just all about your irons. And then same thing in 2020. Um, when it was really difficult scoring conditions, getting up and down was a little more important than the average speed tour stop. Getting having really good iron shots was really important. So not a lot of correlation though, unfortunately. So I don't know if you can really use this a lot either. I mean, like I think if anything, uh, if you look back at 2023, the driving accuracy rates were a lot lower than what they usually are. So maybe that's why off the tee was a little more important. And if you look at 2020, when Nothing really mattered off the tee because everybody hit, you know, was hitting the fairways that week. Um, but your green regulation rate, it was 70% still. So that's still pretty high. I guess the moral is like you're gonna look at all these tools, um, you know, on data golf, and you're gonna try and make some conclusions about stuff. And I don't think it's actually giving you any answers. I think just based on the fact that this is a limited field of a lot of really good players, obviously all the skills that's gonna matter. I think it's more important to focus on the fact that this is a golf course where you know, however you score, and you need to score this week, you need to make a lot of birdies. Um, however you can do it as efficiently as possible, it's going to let you do it. So what am I actually looking for this week? You know, I mean, if I think the winning score is going to be upper 20s, low 30s, obviously I think you have to hit your short irons good. I think you have to give yourself as many opportunities as you can, um, you know, to get good looks. And you know, as I talked about earlier, it's one of the more difficult golf courses of any to make any putts over 15 feet. So the more opportunities you can get from under 15 feet, you know, that's probably explains like how Morikawa is so good here because he gives himself so many opportunities for birdies over and over. You know, he's hitting a lot of short irons from the fairway. You know, you can do that as a higher clip than anybody else. That's probably why. Um, so I guess I'm going to look at iron play a lot. And obviously guys make a lot of birdies. Uh, preferably some guys who are very good putter on Bermuda too. Although, although like Patrick Cantlay, uh, I'll talk about a little bit. You know, he's historically pretty bad on Bermuda, uh, but he actually has put very well here in his career. So maybe just however you just you can to just put the ball in the hole and get a lot of birdies. That's what I'm looking for. I know, right? really complicated handicapping there, right? Tiger great iron, iron players, the guys who score a lot. Great. So, um. Well, I'm going to look at the odds board. So data golf gives their predictions. I have a couple, you know, mainstream books up. They'll give what they say is a good price. And like every single tournament, it seems like lately the outright market is junk. Uh, they don't think many prices are very good. The only ones they say are a 
bargain is turn and favorite Scotty Scheffler at six to one plus five fifty. They have it under five to one based on look. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, the name of the game is hitting your short irons really good and giving yourself as many opportunities for birdies as possible. And Scotty Scheffler does that better than anybody. It really just comes down to there's a putter or not. Well, I mean, in Albany, he did. And those are typical greens. And what's to say he can't translate what he did there and make a bunch of birdies here and do well. Uh, the other guy they see is a value is Patrick Cantlay. Uh, he's been very good at this golf course. I, I, I read an interview with him recently, and they asked him about how he would gauge 20, uh, his 2023 season. And it's not that he was disappointed, but he felt like... You know, he definitely left some stuff on the table. He put himself in position a lot to win, and he didn't get the job done. And I think he was very disappointed in that fact. I, I, I think that actually makes me kind of like him this week. Uh, nobody's really played. He hasn't played at all since the Ryder Cup. Uh, nobody's played for at least a month. And the Hero World Challenge, listen, it's essentially an exhibition that guys are going there for basically a free vacation to the uh, Bahamas at that point. But I, I think given Cantley's put well here in his career, he was hitting his irons at least pretty good towards tail end of last year. Um, you know, he's not the best from under 175 or so, but he's still a good iron player. And I think the fact that, you know, he's motivated to get another win, you know, at least they say it's a good price on him at 16 to 1. You know, I know a couple of these books are offering some boosts. Maybe you can get it up to 18, 20 to 1. You could do that. Uh, other than that, though, you know, Morikawa, they say he's a value because he's the best player historically at this track. Um, you know, Xander has had a really good career here, but again, like once you start getting down the odds bars, the next time, next time you actually see a bargain, I mean, the Henley pr price is close. Uh, Ben on, they seem to really like probably because of the ball striking stats, but is Ben on really going to win this thing? Other than that, though, I negative EV. So, as far as guys I'm looking at, well, I know Data Golf hates the number. Um, I wish I could get over 30. I did find a 28 on him, though. Um, Tom Kim. Hits his irons, short irons really good, makes a lot of birdies, finished fifth here last year. Uh, won in the fall. He won at Summerlin, so obviously he can win events where he got to go really low, make a lot of birdies. Has uh, won on Bermuda before. Uh, you know, that's that's guy I think I probably like this week uh, as far as getting up to a high 20s, low 30s number. Tom Kim can definitely do it. There was a JT Poston number. Um, at none of these books, you know, he's near, but at Bet Rivers, you can get 100 to 1 on him. That's close to what at least Data Golf estimates on it, so that's not bad. And listen, JT Poston was hitting his irons really good in the fall. Um, didn't get any wins last year, became really close. Over the last uh, two years, he's been within five of the lead heading in the final round 10 times is one of the higher marks in this field. Uh, obviously, his one on Bermuda before, a great putter, good short iron player. You know, not the best off the tee, but you know, Cam Smith also wasn't very good off the tee. And you know, he just got hot with his irons and putter that week and he ended up winning. And you know, I, I think if Harris English can win this, probably JT Poston can win here. Uh, you know, and we've seen a guy with similar odds, at least for David, Brian Harmon. Uh, similar type of player. He's got a second place finish here. Uh, I think JT Poston's played here twice. I think he finished T21 out of like T40 guys one time, but then he finished, I think, T11 out of 40 guys before that. And I think he's just a better player now. So I think that's not a bad long shot pick. Um, 
you know, some other guys down the card here, as far as what their odds are. I mean, I don't really see a whole lot. I think Eric Cole is going to be really popular again this week. You know, 66 to 1. I think you're going to see guys. And I get it. You know, good iron player, makes a lot of birdies, good putter on Bermuda. You know, you can see that. Um, you know, I mean, Henley gets really hot from under 175, but he doesn't make a lot of birdies. But, you know, you know, I think he has a third place finish here at least. So that could be some of it. Otherwise, though, I mean, just like every other term, it's probably going to be someone in this range here. It's probably going to be Scotty or Cantlay or even more, maybe Morikawa takes revenge and gets it done, uh, you know, next time. But look, I mean, like these are the odds we're presented with. Not a lot of great pricing, but uh, Cam and Poston are two guys I've already bet. Uh, and I'm probably going to add maybe one more on the card. I, I need to decide who it's going to be between now and uh, tomorrow. So, uh, so that's it. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with uh, our picks. We'll get on the odds board. I'll you know, tell you if anybody else I picked outright is on my card. I'll go over some positionals I have uh, on my card as well. Uh, and with that, Happy New Year. Enjoy the college football playoffs tonight. Enjoy planning for this tournament. And we will see you tomorrow night for our pick show.